0: Hey, one day there's this tourist, and I'm not really sure who he is, Al, maybe, no. I, I he's just a tourist guy, okay? And so he's driving around, he's lost in the country, it's a guy thing, and, and uh, he's checking out his map, you know, he resisted that new technology called GPS, he's doing it low-tech, you know, driving with the map, but he's driving, looking at that map, trying to figure out where he's at while he's driving the car. And so what happened is he crashes into this farmer, hauling his livestock in his big old truck in the opposite lane. And so the tourist, he was thrown from his vehicle. He, he lands into this ditch. He's suffering a broken ribs and a broken arm and leg. And he's obviously in extreme pain. I mean, he's suffering bad, man. And so the farmer, he was in a big old truck, man. So he only suffered some scrapes and bruises. But listen, all his farm animals in that big old livestock truck were totally messed up. And so the farmer, he gets out of the truck to check on the animals, his livestock there. And he notices that the chickens all have broken limbs and they can barely move. Oh, Anyway, so so the farmer yells, he yells, these chickens are useless. Nobody's going to want to buy these chickens anymore. So he actually grabs his shotgun and he blows the chickens away. Okay, anyway, so let's continue on. Now he sees the pigs and the pigs are, they're all lame. They're bleeding all over the place. And so he yells, these pigs are worthless now. I'm not going to get anything for them." So in a rage, he reloads his shotgun and he blows away the pigs. And so the next, the farmer, he goes and checks out his sheep. And he sees they've got all broken limbs and their wool, it's all bloodied and messed up. And so he screams, these sheep are worthless. And so he blows away the sheep. Well, meanwhile, the injured tourist, he's watching all this carnage and great horror from the ditch. And then all of a sudden, the farmer walks over to him and says, hey, are you okay down there? And the tourist replied, I've never felt better in my entire life. (laughs) (laughs) You know, a couple things going on there. How many guys would say that tourist day, man, real quick, man, he's just driving down the road. It went from bad to real, real worse in in, in just a split second there. You know what I'm saying? Okay. And man, when he was encountering that horrible situation, he was trying anything and everything just to stay alive, wasn't he? But that's right, folks. Believe it or not, he is not alone. One day, the Bible says things really are going to go from bad to worse. Listen, when people get left behind at the rapture of the church. And the Bible clearly says that at that point, the whole planet is really going to try to do anything and everything just to stay alive. And the problem is, folks, this is no joke. It is called the seven year tribulation. And people, the Bible is clear, the seven-year tribulation is not a party, it is an outpouring of God's wrath on a wicked and rebellious planet. Jesus said in Matthew 24, it's going to be a time of greater horror than anything this world has ever seen or will ever see again. And, quote, unless that time of calamity was shortened, the entire human race would be destroyed. That's from Jesus. But praise God, God's not just a God of wrath, i.e., he's gonna dish out his justice. That's good news for us, folks, because that means all this evil and suffering going on in the world, God's gonna have the last word on it. It's not gonna go on forever. He's not just a God of wrath or justice. Praise God, he's a God of love as well. He is a God of love. And therefore, because he loves you and I, he's given us many warning signs to let us know when the tribulation was near and when Jesus Christ, his second coming, was rapidly approaching. So in order to keep you and I here at sunrise from experiencing the ultimate bad day of being left behind, literally scrambling to stay alive, we're going to continue in our study. That's right. The final countdown, the final countdown. We've already seen if you were here last week, we began the journey. The number 10 sign on the final countdown was none other than the Jewish people. And this clearly showed us that we are living in the last days. It's God's loving wake up call. And what we saw there last week, if you were here, was that God clearly foretold that when you see the Jewish people return to the land, become a nation again, be brought forth as a nation in one day, become a united nation again, their currency changed back to the shekel, that they would blossom as a rose in the desert, they would have a powerful military, and listen, little bitty tiny Israel, that they would become a center of world conflict. The Bible says it's God's message saying you better wake up. We don't know the day, we don't know the hour, but he's given us this sign to let us know it is getting close, we are living in the last days. But that's not all, we got some more to go. The ninth end time prophecy concerning the Jewish people is God, this is a big wake up call folks, is he said one day, you wanna know how close we're getting? You better pay attention because one day my people, the Jewish people are gonna rebuild that temple. And the first thing the Bible tells us about this last day's temple folks is it's gonna be rebuilt in Jerusalem. Of all places, it's gonna be rebuilt once again, believe it or not, folks, against all odds, back in Jerusalem, but don't take my word for it. Let's listen to God's, open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 11. We're gonna read verses one through eight, Revelation chapter 11. If you find the dictionary, what do you do? Hang a left, that's right. Revelation chapter 11, verses one through eight. We're gonna clearly see, folks, the Bible is, there's no if, ands, or buts about this. The Jewish temple is going to be rebuilt. And the Bible gives us specifics about this temple. Okay, so major key players are going to be involved with this temple, and that's what we're going to see in this text. Revelation chapter 11, verses 1 through 8. Let's take a look at what the Word of God says to you and I. And so here was the vision, okay, the Apostle John, obviously, and here's what he said. He said, I was given a reed, uh, uh, like a measuring rod, and was told, go and measure the what? The temple. There it is. And this is during the the tribulation, so there's going to be a temple. Go and measure the temple of God and the altar. Wait till we get to that. And count the worshipers there, but exclude the outer court. Do not measure it because it's been given to the Gentiles. They're going to trample on the holy city for 42 months, and I will give power to who? My two witnesses, and they're going to prophesy for 1,260 days, or half the seven-year tribulation, clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord on the earth. Now listen, how would you like to have this? If anyone tries to harm them, fire comes out of their mouths and devours their enemies. How many of you guys know several people who are still alive today because you do not have that gift? <laughs> let's close in prayer. No, let's continue on. Okay, but this is really going to happen, folks, in miraculous times uh, during the seven year tribulation. This is how anyone who uh, wants to harm them must die. Now listen, these men also have power to shut up the sky so it will not rain during the time they are prophesying. And they have power to turn the waters into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. How many guys would say, uh, you might want to do what they say and you might want to be the friends? Okay, this is interesting. Now listen, now here's what the Bible says. When they have finished their testimony, the beast or the Antichrist that comes up from the abyss will what? Attack them, God's going to allow it, and overpower them and kill them. Listen, here's the whole point. Where's all this taking place? Their bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was what? Crucified. Crucified. And so again, folks, I think it's pretty obvious the text what's going on here. The book of Revelation clearly reveals that in the last days, there really is going to be another rebuilt Jewish temple, right? During the seven-year tribulation. It's right in the text. And that's big news as we can see historically. The last Jewish temple was taken out and destroyed completely by the uh, Romans back in 70 AD, which is exactly what Jesus prophesied, but we don't have time to get into that prophecy at this time. But what else did it say there? It said involved with this temple are going to be what? You're going to have the major two witnesses and the miraculous uh, uh, testimony going on there, and you're going to have the Antichrist associated with this temple, right? Right? And so here's the point, Uh, uh, it said, it's taking place at the holy city, and in case you don't know what that is, okay, it's Jerusalem, but in case you still don't get it, it specifically called it out, okay, that's why I love Revelation, you know, I wonder what this, just keep reading. Half the time it defines itself. If you wanna know where it's at, it's where our Lord and their Lord, our Lord, everybody's Lord was crucified, Jesus, and where did that happen? Jerusalem, so it's clear, folks, the Bible says that in the last days, this temple isn't just going to be rebuilt, God calls it out, he said it's gonna happen, In Jerusalem the second thing that we know about this last days temple is the Antichrist is going to go up into that thing and say that he's what he's God man I tell you what folks believe it or not that's actually a popular teaching today that a man can become a God it's being revived in the last days but here's what Paul says and he warns us about this folks uh, clearly in the seven year tribulation he says second Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 1 through 4 he said concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him We ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy or report or letter supposed to have come from us saying that the day of the Lord has already come. Mm -mm 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 -mm. He says, come on, don't let anybody deceive you in any way because this is what's got to happen first. He says, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, is revealed. The man doomed to destruction. Okay, now listen, he will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worship, listen, so that he sets himself up where? In God's temple and what's he do there? He's gonna be proclaiming that he himself is God if you can believe that and we'll get into that in much more detail, Lord willing, later. But again, now here we see the second aspect about this last days rebuilt Jewish temple. It's not just going to be in Jerusalem. You take a look at that passage and other passages, and you see that halfway into the seven year tribulation, the Antichrist is going to commit the abomination of desolation. He's gonna go into that temple, and he's gonna declare himself to be God. Okay, now here's the point. Therefore, based on the scripture, you don't have to pray and fast 15 years. Oh, if I only knew uh, how, listen. Based on the scripture, if you want to know, therefore, how close we're getting to the end of times, i.e., the seven-year tribulation, you better be looking out for signs of the Jewish people rebuilding that temple, right? It's common sense based on the scripture there. Now, here's the whole point. Can anybody guess, (laughs) while we're only concerned about who's winning the latest Oscar and how is the weather today, and and boy, I hope that economy turns around, while we're all consumed with that, can anybody guess what the Jewish people are doing right now? Oh, it's, it's so deep, it's, it's mind-blowing. I could not wait to get to this. Folks, they are right now rebuilding the Jewish temple. Now, put this together. We don't know the day nor the hour, but after today's study, I hope you're going to see just how close it is that temple is going to start their construction plans, and that's already even done. But listen, this, what we're talking about today, is the actual temple that the actual Antichrist is actually going to go into and actually declare himself to be God. This is that temple. This is the temple that the scripture prophesied 2,000 years ago that the two witnesses are going to have their amazing, miraculous uh, testimony. The Jewish people are preparing to build that thing now. And so logically, it makes you wonder, I wonder if the two witnesses and even the Antichrist himself is already here alive and well on planet Earth, just waiting for the construction to begin. We are getting that close. So, what is this proof that Jewish people really are rebuilding this temple in the last days? That the two witnesses and the Antichrist is going to be involved in during the seven-year tribulation? Hey, Ron, perfect timing for coming back from vacation. That's a great question. It works well with my notes. Uh, the first way we know the Jewish people really are uh, rebuilding this last days temple is they've already got the plans made. <laughs> the plans are already done. How many guys hooked on construction? How many guys are constructionally challenged like myself? Right. Okay, now, if you want to do something wisely and construct something, you need to have the plans made, okay? And folks, I'm telling you, you got to understand the Jewish people, they ain't just back in the land. As we saw last week, okay, they're not just back in the land. What you got to understand is they're not just established as a nation again. And all those other prophecies I just did a recap on, right now, they're ready to rebuild the temple and it's not 100 years down the road. It is right now, so much so, they actually have, I'm not kidding you, the actual plans ready to go. I just came across this, a couple weeks ago at the Temple Institute in Jerusalem. This is from the headquarters, folks. And what I'm about to share with you are the actual detailed blueprints of the actual temple itself and a detailed computer animation. Somebody spent some cash on this. Computer animation of the soon-to-be-rebuilt ruling chamber for the newly-reformed Sanhedrin. Remember those in the New Testament? And they just came back on the scene for the first time in 1,600 years. What I'm about to show you is the actual plans for what they're getting ready to build. This is Bible prophecy coming
1: alive. Let's take a look at the the video here.
0: folks, can I just tell you that you might have just watched one of the most important videos you've ever seen in your life? That lasts about three minutes there. might have been some of the most important time you've spent in a long time. Because let me define what you just saw. And I will say this confidently. We don't know the date. We don't know the hour. But what you just saw is the actual plans for the actual ruling chamber that's just one section of the temple that the anti... You might have just got the first sneak peek ever of the actual building the actual Antichrist is going to walk into and have the audacity to declare himself to be God. That's how close we are getting. Folks call me crazy, but it appears to me somebody's pretty serious about building this temple again. Okay, the proof's in the pudding. But you see, there's a problem there. They do have the plans ready to go, okay, but they got a position issue, okay? And, and here's the problem. You see, the Muslim Dome of the Rock is sitting where many people believe the previous temple was, so what in the world are you gonna do? Well, pay attention folks, it just so happens, right now there's a group of Jewish archeologists okay, who are saying that the actual site for the temple isn't where the Muslim Dome of the Rock is. There's two different theories. okay. Some would say it's a little bit to the north, others would say it's a little bit to the south. So here's the point, if they're correct and they follow that line of thinking, Okay, uh, even with the Muslim Dome of the Rock, uh, there's still a possibility to get to head uh, to rebuild that temple. But I necessarily don't buy into that theory, and there's a whole lot of Orthodox Jewish people who don't either. They persist. No, it's exactly where the Dome of the Rock is. So again, what are you gonna do? You can have all the plans you want, but how are you going to build the thing with the Muslim Dome of the Rock? Well, a lot of people are saying that that could be fixed very quickly in a couple of different ways. Number one, if you think about it, a stray missile, you know, there's a little bit of fighting going on there. Seriously. A stray missile would rearrange the real estate pretty quickly, get rid of that thing, okay? I'm not advocating that, okay, but I'm saying that can happen, right? Uh, some people would say that God at the right time is going to sovereignly cause an earthquake and level the real estate with that, okay? Uh, some would say that a stray missile or bomb during the fulfillment of the Gog and Magog prophecy of Ezekiel were the surrounding, na- can you believe this? The surrounding nations are going to come against Israel, including Russia from the north, We'll get to that again later. That's happening before very high. Some would say that a stray missile or bomb from that fulfillment of that prophecy uh, would is, is going to level a real estate, but here's the point. Either way, you can see different scenarios, folks. That's not a problem. It could change very quickly. The Muslim Dome of the Rock issue could be taken out. Uh, literally, that's not a problem. In fact, folks, many scholars believe it's gonna be a result of making a peace treaty with the Antichrist himself, which the Bible says that that's the exact thing that is going to start the time clock on the seven-year tribulation. That's the classic passage from Daniel 9.27. Be here, Lord willing, next week. Uh, We'll get into that in much more detail. But here's what he says, Daniel 9.27. He, the Antichrist, will make a treaty uh, with the people, Israel, based on the context, for a period of one set of seven. That's where we get a seven-year tribulation. But after half this time, okay, he, the Antichrist, is going to put it into the what? Remember, he's not just gonna go, other texts tell us that he's not just gonna go there and declare himself to be God halfway into the seven-year tribulation. He's also going to obviously put an end to sacrifices and offerings, right? (laughs) Wait till you see what's coming down the pike, okay? But what we see in this text here is the specific events that starts the seven-year tribulation is when the Antichrist makes a peace treaty or covenant with the Jewish people. And can anybody guess where around the whole world that you turn on the news, I don't, it's been going on for what, 30 years now? Everybody's wanting to make a peace treaty with uh, Israel. Okay, that's, that's very interesting. Okay, and, and again, we'll get to that, Lord willing, next week, but suffice it to say, it's clear, folks. The Bible says the Jewish people are not just getting ready to rebuild that temple. Now, it's going to be rebuilt in Jerusalem, and the Antichrist and the two witnesses are going to have a serious part of that during the tribulation. Listen, and it's happening now. Not a hundred years from now. People, skeptics all the time about prophecy say, you Christians been saying Jesus is coming back for a hundred years and nothing ever changed. Excuse me? And now it's changed. You never have seen this in the history of the church coming alive. But we do now. Okay, But that's general. the second way we know the Jewish people are ready to rebuild this last day's temple. They not only have the plans ready to go, folks, they've got the priests ready to go. This is wild. They're, they're, they're leaving no stone unturned, folks. They are ready to go. Again, we're all sidetracked. Oh, how's the economy here? What's the weather? What? And all this is taking place. The priests are ready to go. It just so happens, folks, in our lifetime, the Jewish people, they're not just ready to build that temple again. Listen, thanks to modern technology. We could never do this before except now. Thanks to modern technology, they have actually been able to scientifically rediscover the priestly line again. And that's huge because the Bible is clear. If you're gonna serve in that temple... You have to be of the priestly tribe and of the priestly line, right? And the problem is after the destruction of the last temple in 70 AD, the Jewish people, as we saw last week, were scattered all over the world. And so, hey, they don't have computers back then. How do you know who's who and who's from what tribe and therefore who could qualify to serve in the temple? That's a major problem. You could have that thing built, but how do you know who's a real priest? Until now. This is crazy, folks. They have actually just recently rediscovered, thanks to modern technology, genetic engineering. Okay, Now, did you know the human body's been mapped, by the way? That's a whole other issue. They have now rediscovered what they call the Kohen gene or the priestly d- uh, gene, Okay, and they know confidently without, beyond a shadow of a doubt who is a priest and who can serve. Listen to this. This just happened, folks. This is amazing. Let's take a look. Uh, the Bible states that the Kohanim or the priests are to be direct descendants of Aaron. Okay, who was the original high priest or Kohen, or okay? Now, a Dr. Carl Skorecki considered a hypothesis that states that if the Kohanim are descendants of one man, okay, then logically, scientifically, they should have a common set of genetic markers, right? Well, he put it to the test. He took 188 Jewish males from Israel, England, and North America. He asked them to contribute, and you can see the actual photo there, some of their cheek cells for a DNA sample. It was extracted for a study, and here's what he found. He found there's actually a particular array of six chromosomal markers in actual Kohens or priests that have been come to known as the Kohen modal haplotype, or CMH for those of you who cannot pronounce that word very well, along with me. Okay, and listen, here's what they found. It's now become the standard genetic signature of the Jewish priestly family. They know, thanks to genetics, who is. There's no doubt about it. In fact, the date calculations based on the variations of the koanim on the DNA cheek samples, okay, yields a time frame. shocker, listen, 106 generations from the ancestral founder of that line some 3,300 years ago. Do the math, it just happens to be the time of the exodus from Egypt and the lifetime of Aaron, the original high priest. That just happened, folks. Thanks to modern technology, the Jewish people not only are rebuilding that temple again, they've already got the plans again, they can confidently say who is of the priestly line so they can serve in that temple again. And it's happening in our lifetime, okay? Folks, it's getting very close. But listen, they not only know who's a priest and who's not, they're not waiting around, folks. They're getting busy training these guys. This is the actual video. They've just broken ground, and they're training the priest to serve in the temple now. This is from Israel, from their news. They're excited about it. I wonder why we don't hear anything about it over here. Let's take a look.
2: Today is really a historical
3: event for the Jewish people. It is the beginning of the work of the third temple, construction for the third temple. Here in Mitzvah Yeriko, we are building a field school for Kohanim and Levites in order to teach them the work that they have to do in Yushalayim when the temple will be rebuilt. We are starting the, uh, to build the replica of the temple here in Mitzvah Yericho that will serve as a school to educate the Kohanim, the priest, how to serve in the temple. It will be an exact replica of the temple and today we're drilling the holes for the um, the libations, the water and wine libations, in the altar. And they will learn exactly what they have to do. When the time comes and the temple is rebuilt in Jerusalem, they will know exactly how to perform this service. We've been waiting for the last 2,000 years for the rebuilding of the third temple. And here it is for the first time. We're actually taking concrete measures in order to fulfill that dream and start the process of the third temple.
0: For the first time in 2,000 years, they're excited about it building what they need for the third temple hey who cares i hope that economy turns around (laughs) man are we distracted or what never before in the history of the church is bible prophecy coming alive at such a rapid pace such a specific pace They're ready to rebuild that thing, but that's still not all. They not only, folks, recently know who the priests are. Listen, thanks to modern technology. They're not only training them right now as I'm sitting here, standing here hopefully, uh, in this sermon, preaching this sermon. Listen, folks, they have already rebuilt the stone altar of sacrifice, and for the first time in 2,000 years, once again, they have reinstituted the sacrifices, specifically the Passover sacrifice for the first time in 2,000 years. Watch this. They're excited about it. Here's another one of their exciting announcements. Let's take a look.
2: Shalom. I'm Rabbi Chaim Richman from the Temple Institute in Jerusalem. With me is Yitzchak Ruvein, and we're talking about one of the most exciting projects that the Temple Institute has ever embarked upon, the construction of the altar of the Holy Temple.
1: And this was begun on Tisha the ninth of Av, the day that we commemorate the destruction of the first and the second Holy Temples. And, of course, this is a huge shift uh, in the history of the Jewish people, because after 2,000 years of mourning on Tisha Ab'av, we turned the tide this year, and now we are building, building the altar, which is the heart, the cent- centerpiece of the holy temple. It was a massive piece of construction in its original format, and what we're building today is somewhat smaller, but it's still quite large. It has a base of three and a half meters wide and a height of three and a half meters wide. The ramp at the colonine, the priest will walk up to get to the top of the altar is 10 and a half meters long. It's a big piece of construction. And I feel that the altar, beginning the construction of the altar, brings us light years closer to the actual construction of the holy temple.
3: On uh, Erev Pesach, on uh, Friday afternoon, we'll be doing this in the Azara. It's the uh, first time in 2,000 years. We see
1: this crowd of hundreds and hundreds of people from all over who came today to see this event. This is the basic command of the Torah for every Jew on Pesach, on the holiday of Passover. we have to bring our Passover offering. But the very fact that we are here, We are saying to God, we are saying to you, Hashem, here we are, we are ready. What's the common
0: theme they keep saying on these videos? Individual Jewish guys? For the first time in 2,000 years. It's all coming together. Folks, what more does God have to do to get our attention? I mean, think about it. For the first time in 2000 years, the Jewish people have reconstructed the stone altar. They started making the Passover sacrifices again. And listen, what's the context? What are we dealing with here? This is the actual temple that the actual Antichrist is gonna go up into and declare himself to be God. But not just that, what did our other text say? Remember, the Antichrist, he's not just going up into that temple. He is going and declare himself to be God. But the Bible says he's going to, in the book of Daniel, we saw the text. He's going to put an end to what? Sacrifices. And what did they just start making again? Sacrifices. Are we getting closer? or what? But that's still not all. There's so much going on and we are so incredibly distracted. I don't think that's by chance. The third way that we know the Jewish people are getting ready to rebuild this last day's temple is the articles are already made to go. It's not just the plans. It's not just the priests, the people to work in it. It's all the articles they need in it, okay? They have got the plans, folks. They've got the priests, and they've got the stone altar. They just started the sacrifices again. And listen, they've also reconstructed most of the clothing, the vessels, and the articles that they need to have in order to pull off the worship in the temple. Let me just share a few of those uh, with you. I don't have time to go through them all. I will give you some homework, though, so that you can understand. I'm not making this up, folks. Go to templeinstitute.org. Temple, I'll say it again, templeinstitute.org and you can see this for yourself. Okay, let's take a look at just a few of the articles, okay, that they have rebuilt. They've got almost all of them done, uh, okay, but I, I don't have time to go through the whole list, but I'll give you some highlights, okay? First of all, this is the Temple Mount area. Most likely that's where it's going to be rebuilt, uh, most likely very soon, okay? Here's a model that suggested new temple to be built, okay? That's one view. Here's another view. As you can see, this thing's all planned out. That's how they're wanting to make it look. Uh, they spent some serious cash on it. We're talking millions and millions and millions of dollars, okay? Here's the front view of that, and can you imagine the Antichrist walking up into that, and that could happen, folks, in our lifetime, uh, is another view. Okay, now here's the ramp leading up to the altar we just saw. They just are, what, doing right now? Rebuilding that thing that we just, this is amazing, folks. Okay, now this is the Temple Institute in Jerusalem. These are the ones who are housing these treasures, building all these things for the temple. Here's the first golden menorah constructed since the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, okay? And that's uh, gold, you're gonna see that in a second. In fact, for the first time since it was removed by the Romans at the destruction of the temple, back in 70 AD, the golden menorah has once again been returned to the temple. Huge news, folks. Let's take a look at that clip.
2: The Bible commands us, and you shall make a menorah of pure gold. Of beaten work shall the menorah be made. To meet this daunting challenge, the Temple Institute, after many months of intensive research, assembled a team of artisans and craftsmen, engineering experts and scientists to recreate the golden menorah fit for use in the Holy Temple. The menorah contains 95 pounds of pure gold. Today valued at two million dollars, its total weight is one half ton. For two thousand years, the Jewish people have become accustomed to the scene depicted on the Arch of Titus, notorious symbol of Jewish exile. Our forefathers, forced to carry the sacred vessels of the Holy Temple out of Jerusalem and into exile. Witnessing the menorah once again being carried through the streets of Jerusalem, but this time towards the Holy Temple, filled the people with an overwhelming feeling that history was being reversed, a circle being closed.
0: Let's all clap together. Hey, I wonder how the weather's doing today. Maybe that economy turn around. Yee-hey. Hey, it's fresh bread. That's not even my notes, by the way. Uh, oh, excuse me? <laughs> Somebody's serious about building that thing. 95 pounds of gold? Uh, in our times today, you don't spend money on that like that. Uh, it, and by the way, the estimates with the gold prices now, it's up to about $3 million. They invested in that one piece. Somebody's that serious, folks, about this temple. Okay, and we are extremely uh, distracted. Here's the golden flask needed for water libation. Those have already been made. Here's the silver shovel for removing ashes from the altar. That one's ready to go. Here's the gold and silver plated ram's horns to be blown in the service of the holy temple. That's all set to go. Here's the silver trumpets uh, to be used to announce the temple services and the festivals. Those are all set, ready to go. Here's uh, one of the harps to be used for music in the temple services. That's all ready to go. Here's one of the lyres to be used for music in the temple services. AJ, don't take any offense to this, but hey, folks, if you find somebody that plays one of those instruments don't trust them they're a liar Play, look at it hey that's your one <laughs> joke for today but anyway that's, let's move on okay <laughs> here's some of the wooden and golden lots to be used to determine which goat's going to be used for the sacrifice i'm telling you folks down to the minute detail they've already got these things ready to go here's in the middle there you can see that and once again that's gold folks a lot of cash here's the view of the golden altar of incense been reconstructed in the middle there. Here's the actual knives to be used to prepare uh, the sacrifices to be used in the offerings of the uh, temple, uh, as you can see there. Here's the actual table of showbread, some serious cash was spent on that one. Remember that from your Old Testament? Okay, that's been reconstructed. Here's the labor that they also use in the service of the temple. Here's the incense chalice, all set, ready to go in the temple. Here's the garments of the ordinary priest and the loom, because everything's gotta be made by hand according to the Old Testament specifications which they are following, no pun intended, to the letter of the law. Here's the spinning wheel with the colored threads arranged for the high priest garments because remember it had to be a certain thread color and all that stuff as well. Here's just two of the 72 golden bells for the hem of the high priest's garment. That's already been reconstructed ready to go. Here's the actual garment sitting waiting for the high priest ready to go. In fact, here's a close-up of the breastplate. Uh, No, those are not fake jewels. Those are real as far as my understanding is and each one as we know if you're familiar with the Old Testament. and the the ministry of the high priest, each one of those represents one of the 12 tribes of Israel. That's some serious cash and that's all set ready to go. And in fact, it just recently folks, the golden crown needed for the high priest to serve in the temple has just been completed. He's all set ready to go. Watch this announcement, here it is.
2: Shalom, I'm Rabbi Chaim Richmond from the Temple Institute in Jerusalem. With me is Rabbi Yehuda Glick, the general director of the institute. This is a very historic moment we have just received the newest vessel that the institute has been working on for some time now we have just received it from the craftsman and it is the golden crown of the high priest you know that the high priest wears the eight golden garments and one of them described in the torah is a golden crown which sits not on top of his head like a like a king would wear but across his forehead and it carries the words holiness unto the lord kodesh lashem and this is a very very special moment and in fact it's it's quite historic and specifically at this time in our modern history when the the people of Israel, the state of Israel are facing very similar dangers to those that our people faced during the story of Hanukkah both from within and from without we are facing forces of darkness that really wish to undo the Jewish character of the state of Israel we at the Temple Institute are continuing our efforts towards the restoration of the service of the Temple and the building of the Temple
1: and as I say, it's ready to be used. And if we find out during this program that they're that they have permission to start building, I think we will be very happy to bring this there.
2: And our goal is the restoration of the divine service and the rebuilding of the holy temple. May it be soon, and may the whole world be uplifted really by the presence of the Shekhinah, the divine presence, once again in this world. <laughs>
0: Let me define that one for you too. What you just saw is the actual crown that's gonna go on the actual high priest that is actually going to be serving in the temple that the actual Antichrist is gonna say, get out of the way, buddy, I am God. That's the crown. That's the real crown. Folks, are we getting close or what? Almost everything is ready to go, I mean, down to the minute detail to rebuild this temple right now, except for one thing. Well, as you Bible scholars out there, there's something that is needed in order to uh, uh, perform the necessary cleansing, uh, purifying rituals for the service of the temple, and that's what's called the ashes of a red heifer, okay? They have to have that in order to do that, and this is that text, uh, Numbers chapter 19. Let's take a look at just a portion of that context. Number 19 says this, the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron, this is the requirement of the law that the Lord has commanded. Tell the Israelites to bring you a what? red heifer specifically calls it out without defect or blemish and that's never been under a yoke why well you're to give it to elizier the priest and it's to be taken outside the camp and slaughtered in his presence then elizier the priest is to take some of its blood on his finger and sprinkle it seven times towards the front of the tent of the meeting Which was the tabernacle the traveling temple if you will until they got the more stable one and the one that they're building today it's no longer a tent it's now a construction okay but here's the whole point in sharing that text the bible says not just the blood if you continue to read the context they also need the ashes they're going to burn that thing up they need the ashes of a pure red heifer to perform the necessary purification and cleansing rituals that are a part of the service of the temple okay but here's the problem Ever since the destruction of the last temple back in 70 AD by the Romans, okay, red heifers no longer exist. Right? It's like dinosaurs going out of existence. Okay? What are you going to do? There's no more red heifers until now. Folks, it just so happens in our lifetime, I'm kid you not, do the research yourself, go to templeinstitute.org. For the first time in just the last several years ago, guess what started popping back on the scene? Red heifers. Now, listen, some of the first ones, okay, they, they popped out on the street, uh, 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 scene again, and they did have a small blemish, so they were disqualified. But first of all, the fact that they started popping out on the scene since uh, 2,000 years, that should get your attention. But listen, it just so happens we also live in the time, thanks again to modern technology, that if we wanted to make a red heifer from scratch, if you will, with genetic engineering and cloning, we probably could, couldn't we? That's never been there before. But listen, here's the awesome news, folks. This just came out. God does not need the hand of man to help him out. Did you know that, okay? Can anybody guess what was just born on the scene? And listen, is being kept in a very undisclosed, safe place right now. A red heifer. Listen to this announcement, folks. This just happened. Let's take a look.
3: I was listening to a show that aired today. It's called Temple Talk It's hosted by, I hope I say this right, Yetzek Ruvin, and Rabbi Rachman. Uh, They talk about the relationship between the golden calf and the mysterious red heifer, Um, including a dramatic revelation of a new red heifer alive and well in Israel at an undisclosed location. This is breaking news. Have a listen to this clip
2: because everyone is very interested in the status of the red heifer people speculate people remember the excitement of when a red heifer was born people talk about it and the reason for that of course why there's such excitement every time everybody anybody mentions a red heifer is because uh, a lot of people know that there is a Jewish tradition it's in the Mishnah that there were only nine red heifers throughout the entire history of um, the Jewish people and there were nine red heifers that were and the ashes from those red heifers were enough to accomplish the process of cleansing for all the generations of the, of the people of Israel and there is a tradition that the tenth red heifer is the one that's associated with the rebuilding of the third temple that's why when there's a news report about a red heifer being born people get very very excited it on as some sort of a wake-up call or something like that and I wanted to share with our listeners far and wide mm-hmm. The fact that there is definitely a kosher red heifer here in Israel. Hmm. This right is now. really uh, breaking news. Yes, it is.
1: This should be on a scroll on the, scroll on the bottom be. of a CNN or something. It should be.
2: It really should be. It should be. We're not making a lot of noise about it. We're not. We're not taking out all sorts of ads, and we're not. Uh, certainly not disclosing the location. That's definitely not prudent. And I'm not going to be sharing it with the United States Embassy. Absolutely not. But you should know that there are definitely, in fact, I think there's more than one, but there is definitely at least one kosher heifer here in Israel right now, so that is not what is impeding the process at all.
0: In other words, what's left in order to build the temple again? What's left to impede it? It's just a matter of getting started. Did you hear what he said? This is big news. You should see this on that little ticker tape thing on CNN, but what do we see on CNN? The leaders of the G8 have met to discuss the economic summit, when something bigger than the economy is getting ready to unload on us. We are that close. They've got everything they need, folks. For the first time in 2,000 years, put it all together just today's study. The Jewish people have the plans ready to go. they got the priests ready to go. They've got the sacrifices started again. They've got the stone altar ready to go. They've got virtually every one of the articles needed for the worship ready to go. They even have the ashes of the red heifer ready to go to rebuild the end times temple. Listen, what's that temple about? That's the actual temple that the actual Antichrist is gonna go into and the two witnesses around that area are gonna do their miraculous ministry. We don't know the day, we don't know the hour, and we're not going to be foolish enough to try to predict dates when the Bible says you don't know. But how much more proof does God have to give us that we are that close? And this is precisely why God has given us these signs of the Jewish people to show us when the tribulation was near and when Jesus Christ's second coming was rapidly approaching. This is why Jesus himself warned us. It's not really even it should be a warning, it's just to be a great expectation for the Christian. When Luke 21, 28, when these things we just saw today, when you see them again to take place, what do you do, Christian? Stand up, lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And so I think the point is pretty commonplace, twofold. One, if you're here today as a Christian, it is a time to get motivated. This is our one shot to do something for Jesus out of love for all that he's done for us. This is it. And we'll never get this opportunity again in heaven. We will never witness in heaven. Did you know that? We will never get to have the ability to earn a crown to lay at the feet of Jesus in heaven. We will never get the pleasure of sharing the wonderful, glorious gospel to Jesus Christ and maybe even being used of God to lead somebody to heaven. In heaven, it only happens here. And then it's over. But if you're here today and you're not a Christian, I beg you, please heed the signs, heed the warnings God out of love has given you. Sufficient knowledge to understand just how important these days are one day Jesus Christ come come back at any moment one day tomorrow is going to be too late Like this Jewish man clearly warns it could happen in our lifetime We'll close in prayer after this. Let's take a look
3: in Israel Most rabbis agree that when it comes to the ark all roads lead back here to Jerusalem They say the ark never left the city and to them The so called Lost Ark was never really lost. On June 7, 1967, Israeli troops recaptured Jerusalem in the Six Day War. The Western Wall was in Jewish hands, and those hands were ready to dig. Archaeologists exposed parts of the wall that had been buried for 2,000 years. But not all of the digging was done legally. In 1981, Two of Israel's highest-ranking rabbis, Shlomo Goren and Yehuda Getz, picked up their pickaxes and started chiseling under the Temple Mount.
4: And he knew that in the end of the gate, he will come to the secret room where the Ark of Covenant is located.
3: Gershon Solomon was one of the paratroopers who liberated the Western Wall in 1967. And he was there 14 years later. The night Rabbi gets opened a secret passage in the wall.
4: After midnight, I was in the bed already, and he called me and said to me, Gershon, come immediately. Don't wait. Your dream is going to be fulfilled. What happened? I told him. The Messiah came, and he told me he's coming
3: almost. But first came a subterranean slugfest. Arab
4: demonstrations, you know, they started to throw stones on the workers. The Israelis are coming to build the temple underneath the Dome of the Rock.
3: At the end of the day, the passage to the Temple Mount was permanently sealed by Israeli police.
4: No doubt, I tell you, no doubt, we needed just maybe two days more to come to the place where the ark of covenant is located
3: scholars may not agree on the fate of the ark but many of them agree on one thing its discovery could set in motion another event that's been two thousand years in the making the rebuilding of the jewish temple perhaps when it's time to build the third temple
1: the second temple treasures will be found why? Because both in Ezra and Nehemiah, uh, the Bible indicates that when it was time to build the second temple, God restored the treasures from the first temple, which of course had been carted off to Babylon. When it's time to build the third temple, the second temple treasures will be found.
4: Wouldn't that be dramatic? It is soon to come. I tell you, I promise you when you, you check me, test me, it will be in our
0: lifetime. And it's coming for each one of us. We're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, but it's going to happen. The Bible says, therefore, since the wages of our sin is death, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and not to heaven. And that's bad enough, but to make matters worse, we don't want to admit this. God already knows. He knows uh, all of our behavior, everything, our thoughts, what we've done, what even we're going to do. He knows it all. He's gone. Even though he already knows this, we don't want to admit this. And so, out of love and mercy, God gave us something called his law, or the Ten Commandments. It's kind of like his x-ray into our heart to show us what he already knows, that he is holy and that we are not. And it's this unholiness or sin that separates us from him. Let's take a look at God's x-ray, if you will, his divine law, to show us what he already knows. The Ten Commandments, uh, the ninth one, says this, you shall not bear false witness. Okay, that's called lying. Okay, and if you've ever told a lie once, which we all have, myself included, the Bible says that makes you a liar. Okay, the the another commandment says you shall not steal. Okay, uh, and you might think, well, that's something that everybody does. Well, it doesn't make it right, and it demonstrates what God is trying to show us that uh, we all have sin, and it's separating us from Him. Even if you took a pencil in the third grade from somebody, if you did it without permission, that's stealing. And so now you've become a thief. The Bible says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And how interesting it is and unfortunate that the only name under heaven by which men might be saved, the name Jesus Christ, has now become a common cuss word. The Bible says that God is so holy that even his name is holy. If you've taken the Lord's name in vain, and used it as a cuss word or even flippantly. The Bible calls that the sin of blasphemy. And so now you become a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus says if you even look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. And finally, the Bible says uh, you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? Well, again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred is the same as the sin of murder the only difference is you pulled the trigger if you will in your heart you wish they were dead and in God's eyes it's the same thing in principle folks that's only just a couple of the Ten Commandments we didn't even go through all of them but I think you're starting to get the picture the Bible is correct we have all fallen short of the glory of God myself included and that we are separated from God as a result and so when our time comes we're not automatically going to heaven. We are headed for judgment. We are headed for hell. Now let me tell you the good news. The good news is that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to save us. Jesus Christ died on the cross. It was the death penalty of its day. He paid in full uh, the price for our sins to be forgiven. Let me give you an analogy. For instance, even today, we could see that a person could commit a crime. Uh, they, they cannot reverse it. The, the sentence has been passed. The judge has uh, slammed his gavel, and they are ushered off into their jail cell. And in this particular crime, they are going to receive the death penalty. And so they're behind bars just waiting for the time, waiting for the call for them to go and uh, receive the death penalty. But believe it or not, as we know, there is a way that a person can get off a death row.